It's 2004, Kosovo, Serbia. We're inside a small coffee shop on the corner of a crowded street. The place is busy, lively. A young man enters, looks around, nervous. He sits down at the only empty table and waits for someone. Little does he know that he's surrounded by people waiting for him. Why? He's a Pithwick. And that's the personnel indicted for war crimes. That's the voice of Daryl Utt, a Green Beret at the time, stationed outside the coffee shop. Don't really remember what he did to make it on the list, but we really didn't care. They told us to go get him, and, and that's what we do, right? Daryl and his team had been working for weeks to get the man out in public. This guy was fascinated with technology, and he liked little trinkets and whiz-bang tech gear. So we had some assets, arranged a meeting with this guy and uh, was gonna show him something like so fancy and sexy on the technology side. It was easier than Daryl had thought. He couldn't get there fast enough. After a few minutes, the man gets up from his seat. We were able to collapse the target really quick. They just put their hands on him and he just dishracked right there. He was just so scared. Within seconds, they had him in cuffs and threw him into a van. The van peels out, its new passenger bound for prison. That night, Daryl and the team received a call. Yeah, the detention facility folks called us and said they had never seen a detainee come in that scared. Master Sergeant Daryl Utt spent 26 years in the service, working as a Green Beret in Kosovo and Iraq, and overseeing the capture of dozens of very dangerous men over 10 deployments. He has many stories from the field, but his most riveting ones are about what he's done since retirement, especially from his current role as head of operations for the National Medal of Honor Museum, currently under construction in Arlington, Texas. Daryl joins us on the show today and talks about trapping and fishing as a child, discusses the various lessons he's learned from his missions, and explains how he went from being a Green Beret to working at the Museum of the Bible. I'm Carrie Faro Heikis, and this is Army Matters. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Army Matters Podcast Show. I am retired Sergeant Major of the Army, Dan Daly, the 15th Sergeant Major of the Army, and I am joined by my incredible co-host today and good friend, Mr. Les Smith. Mr. I'm Lieutenant General Retired Leslie Smith, the 66th Inspector General of the Army, and Dan is, is one of my, my, my great buddies. We spent a lot of time in the Pentagon. You know, one year in the Pentagon is like seven years of life. Good to see you, Dan. I'm a little under the weather today, Les, so I just want to let you know. But, you know, even despite my feelings and my thoughts and my emotions, I would never miss an opportunity to do a podcast with you. Uh, so same I heard here, our guest was today. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I just got to get up, tough it out, 
get on the show with my good friend Les and talk about an American hero we're going to talk about That's today. That's great. So, and you look pretty good. I, I tell you guys, you can't see us on the podcast, but he has a nice blue suit yeah. with a nice tie and and uh, he's looking pretty snazzy. I, I'm, I'm going to have to go put my, my jacket back on. I, so I know. I, I got my this. Alexander of London on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, nice. Yeah. That was for our guest in honor of him. So yeah. enough for us, us badgering back and forth. I, I, you know, I wonder what people think about us, Les. I don't know. What, what do you think? We're noble men who have fun doing the job we do every day. Well, How if you're listening, I'll tell you what, why don't you write in? Yeah. Go to our website, leave a comment about myself and Les and how much you like or dislike the podcast. We, we take criticism, right, Les? Yeah, we do. Remember, we used to work at the Pentagon, Dan. So we know a couple of things about criticism. We can handle it. Yeah, we can handle it. Now let's get to our guest. This gentleman served for 26 years as a soldier, starting off at my favorite MOS, 11 Bravo. And he worked his way through the ranks and eventually went to special forces training and became a Green Beret. He later became a Ranger and a Sniper. And he served in 10 combat tours, 10, some very dangerous missions for the country. But we're going to focus on his unique jobs after his retirement today as well. Well, let's just find out more from the man himself. Daryl, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here with you, Dan and uh, Les. I'm very grateful and honored to be here. You guys are great. I appreciate y'all. And we appreciate you. So, Daryl, you grew up in West Virginia. I'm a Northeastern Pennsylvania guy myself, you know, from the Appalachians. What did you learn growing up in West Virginia? Yeah, so I come from humble beginnings. Um, I definitely knew what the Kmart blue light special was, especially for school shopping. Uh, My mother would chase the blue light around Kmart just like, like it was crazy, waiting for it to come on. I knew what that was all about. And I grew up trapping with my dad. And that wasn't because my, my mom had exotic taste in uh, mink fur coats. That was for, you know, additional income and, and to help us, you know, have Christmas and things like that. So luckily I was involved in sports and involved in hunting and fishing and trapping. So I, I had a pretty good base that set me, set me up pretty good for the military. Yeah. Now you mentioned you were involved in sports. I know that an important person in your life uh, was one of your coaches, I believe your football coach. Tell us how he affected your life and your journey to the army. Yeah. So uh, played football my whole life from being a little boy all the way up to high school and freshman year. We had a really tough football coach. Uh, his name was Coach Thornburg, and he was a 19th Special Forces group guy. Wow. He was serving at the time. Yep. He was in the reserves. Okay. I would learn much later, he basically treated us as, a, as an operational detachment alpha, you know, a Special Forces team, you know, with our training and weightlifting. And he was out there doing everything right there with us. So he was just such a great mentor. And, you know, being from Huntington, West Virginia, a lot of the kids on the team didn't really have a lot of opportunities. I was one of them. So he, he took us under his wing, and I'll be forever grateful for that. He was able to, to speak to us about the military. And, and, you know, being a young kid, and you think you know everything, and I really didn't know that much about Special Forces. It wasn't like that big of a, you know, it, it was just something I really couldn't wrap my brain around as a young man. But yeah, man, he really had such a huge impact on me, and I'm just so grateful. You said he was Special Forces. I think it was in the 19th is in the National Guard. So can you describe what, what he was doing? I know he was doing a lot of training, and I think he was doing some deployments. I think he had yeah. his weekend obligations, and yeah. he had some summer obligations, and he was able to work it around 
football for us. But uh, I think there were a few times, I think West Virginia got hit really bad with some flooding Mm -hmm. up in the mountains, up in the northeast part of the state. And uh, he was called away. I think that was one of the things I remember it's like, hey, where the heck did Coach Thornburg go? And, yeah, where did Coach go? Yeah, he's he's helping with some of the flooding victims and rescue and things like that. So, so yeah, just a great guy, great guy. So for our listeners, the National Guard and Army Reserve is about three-quarters of the total force, and they do a lot of the first responder missions that have to happen. So what you just heard, it sounds like he's telling us he did both of those things very well. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love to be able to to go back and see what happened to the rest of the guys. I've just kind of lost touch. Yeah. But, you know, we had a Marine Corps guy. We had Air Force, wow. uh, Navy. I was Army. So we had some law enforcement guys. I mean, this guy's legacy. Wow. Just, just a great dude. Great dude. Yeah. Frankly, and I think everybody's aware of this. You know, we have we have trouble recruiting in all the services today. And, yeah. And and frankly, I I think it's because we lost the art of talking to young men and women across this country about the value of service and, right. and motivating, inspiring them. And those coaches, those teachers, yeah. those guidance counselors, the moms and dads, and it's just about educating them. Right. It's not forcing anybody, but it's just about educating them and inspiring. And obviously, your coach inspired you, and we are grateful for it as a nation. It's important, man. It's important. So you talked about trapping and fishing and hunting with your dad. What did those things really teach you? How did they help you become the leader that you are today? I just resumed my hunting actually last year. When I left the military, I kind of left weapons and all of those things behind. I just wanted to kind of do a clean break. And, uh, and I, you know, once Iraq, uh, all those deployments started hitting. You just didn't really have time to do a lot of those things. But uh, I recently just went back, did some elk hunting, and and my buddy was telling me, he's like, hey, it's not, uh, it's not killing, it's hunting. So you have to display a lot of patience, and there's a lot of field craft involved. And, and I think those things really helped me on the special forces side, the sniper side, being in combat. Obviously, with fishing, it takes a lot of patience if you guys – are fishermen. And that's a big part, I think, of being a leader. And you're not always going to have success. You're going to have some bumps in the road and you just got to be able to deal with that. So, you know, during the intro, Daryl, we heard a, a cool story about you and your time in Kosovo when you were trying to track down a, a target indicted for war crimes. Can you give our listeners a little background of what happened or what was going on in Kosovo at that time? What did you go over there to do? So you and Dan might remember Kosovo Oh, yeah. Going through that time period, it was like, man, that was the biggest show in town. It was. Like, yeah. You know, at least for us. Yeah, it was. There wasn't anything else going on. Uh, this is pretty... Everybody wanted to go to Kosovo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> everybody wanted to go to Kosovo. Uh, it was pre-9-11, and everybody was trying to get into the show. And and I was assigned to 10 Special Forces Group. Uh, the Special Forces Group, for the listeners out there, are are typically aligned by region. So we had the Balkans and that was our area of responsibility. And and then, you know, as soon as 9-11 happened, everything changed. So we had the guys that were operating in the Balkans, they went to Afghanistan, they went to Iraq, but yeah. But for us, we still had a responsibility to Kosovo. So most of the national level assets, the higher tier, the tier one units had already departed uh, from doing that particular mission. Okay. 
it was probably a little dry for them and there was bigger fish to fry in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah. So my first uh, involvement was primarily gathering intelligence, not kicking down doors or direct action. It was, it was doing a lot of intelligence and pattern of life. Mm-hmm. And then the second time was after my first trip to Iraq. Okay. There were still some, some folks out there that, that were on the list. Mm-hmm. And we just happened to be there. Uh, we were a special forces element. So we picked that mission up and, and we got to pick up a couple guys and we had a good time with it. It was fun. So another cool mission that you were on during your career was called Operation Thor's Hammer. I love that name. And you used a honeypot to lure a high value target. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So yeah, in 2006, our team arrived in, in Baghdad. It's dangerous, it's deadly, it's violent. Yeah. I believe it was the deadliest year for Iraqi civilians. Right. And I think it might have been the second or third deadliest year for for our soldiers, you know, killed in action, wounded in action. Yeah. February 2006, the Samara Mosque uh, shrine had, had been bombed and it, it basically spun the whole country out of control and it ignited a civil war. So that's kind of the backdrop to this story. But okay. we had an individual that was, he had orchestrated a lot of these uh, EFP attacks, explosively formed projectiles, which right. were just deadly and, and causing a lot of casualties and deaths. Yeah. So we had this individual, uh, he killed a lot of American soldiers and the, the fifth special forces group team that we had just replaced when we got there, they handed us a target package, which we appreciated, but it was someone that they desperately wanted so bad. And they just, they weren't fortunate enough to, to track them down. And they said, this, this should be your number one target. And we we're like, Roger that. So, uh, we went after this guy and he was a tough guy to track down. Okay. We ended up getting a little creative on this one. And we talked about it as a team. It's like, how can we, how can we do something a little creative? Because we didn't have a lot of the signals intelligence assets that other units had. Right. So we ended up having a female Iraqi call our target on the phone because we had his number. And she just started talking. I'll keep it clean uh, for this podcast, obviously, but it was basically set up as oh, I called the wrong number, but her initial probably minute, minute and a half was really interesting if you're a guy. Okay. So once, you know, they kind of went through that one minute, it was like, whoa, 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 you're not talking to who you think you're talking to. And she's like, oh my gosh, sorry. It was supposed to be like an accidental call, but her her initial message delivery was pretty powerful if you're a, a young guy. Yeah. That's how it all set up. And then it just kind of spun out of control from there. He was intrigued and interested enough, and it set up a follow-on call. And then they started talking on the phone, and that's how this whole thing played out. The classic honeypot, it's been around forever. Uh, it's still happening. It's still getting people. Yeah. But that's how it all started, and we eventually were able to capture that target because he was, he was going to do his first meet with her. And uh, she was at an apparel shop right outside of Sadr City, and we had the whole place locked down. Kind of going back to our Piffwick story, 
you know, no technology, nothing whiz bang, but he was deeply, deeply interested in this female. So it was basically like a Iraqi edition, Iraqi version of catfishing before catfishing was even probably popular. I don't know when catfishing came about, but he didn't get to meet his damsel in distress. He got to meet me. I was the guy that he first met. So it was kind of cool. Can you tell us a little bit more, Daryl, about the process that you used to prepare for that mission? You know, that's a great successful story. That's a great successful capture. But there's a lot of work that goes into that. That just doesn't like magically happen overnight. Yeah. We had so many meetings and discussions and and we were just sitting there. You got a bunch of special forces guys around the table and we're we're trying to think of all of these different things that we can do. And and we had some inspiration from law enforcement in the States. Okay. Sometimes they'll do like these mass arrest and they send something out like, Hey, you want a free, uh, television or right, you know, whatever right. it might've yeah. been like, you heard of those back in the day. So yeah. that's kind of like what started this whole thing is like, what could we do? That's creative. I said earlier, we didn't have the signals, intelligence assets that tier one units had. Right. And that's just the reality of it. Like you're not going to have everything just laid out for you. Sometimes you got to make stuff happen. Uh, with what you have yeah and i think that's what we did in this case we had to like dig deep and and we strategized as a team and we talked amongst ourselves and uh and we wanted to make it happen and we did daryl we've heard about your coach and you've had a lot of mentors throughout your army career but tell us which mentor stands out the most uh, man that is such a great question greatest mentor uh scott brazil he retired as a command sergeant's major uh, out of seventh group, I believe. Yeah, I know of. I've met him. Just a great guy. He grew up in Ranger Regiment, just a legend. And he was just such a great mentor to me, took me under under his wing and and just kind of showed me the ropes. He was a guy that, that didn't yell, didn't get upset. He could just talk to you and be like, Daryl, I'm really disappointed. Oh, that's the worst. You know, it's just like, oh, gosh, you just ripped my heart out. Yeah. And and he was that kind of guy. Like, I never wanted to to disappoint him. And he was the kind of guy that'd say, Daryl, this two-story building over here, it's on fire. And there's someone in there. You need to get in there. And I'd be like, yes, sir. Got it. I mean, he's that guy. Daryl, we got a lot more questions for you. But before we do, we got to take a short break. We'll be right back. Join AUSA, the Army's premier professional association and host of the largest land power exposition in the United States. AUSA is open to everyone, including all ranks and components. So whether you have a relationship with the U.S. Army or simply want to honor those who serve, you can learn more at AUSA.org join. Now, Daryl, after being in the Army for 26 years, you retired and soon after you started working for the Museum of the Bible, doing security consulting. Now I'm sure our listeners are thinking the same thing that I'm thinking. How did you make such an interesting leap? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's definitely a unique career path, you know, post-military. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, definitely unique. I had an opportunity through a, through a guy that actually used to work for me uh, he gave me the opportunity at the Museum of the Bible, and I took it and I ran with it and did did really well. Uh, we had a great team. Uh, we probably had one of the most talented 
security teams. And I want to brag, you know, because most of them were army, but so my boss on the global security side was from a special mission unit out of Fort <laughs> Belvoir, uh, Virginia. Roger. It was me, former Green Beret, my colleague. She was a former uh, Apache helicopter pilot in the Army. Wow. We had another guy uh, who did our communications, was former uh, Ranger Regiment and Special Mission Unit, Fort Belvoir. We had a Secret Service guy too, but we had a very talented team. But I think the big lesson there is keep your options open. Like I, No one in a million years could have told me, hey, you might retire and go work at a museum. I, I wouldn't have listened, but yeah. keep your options open. Well, I got to go off script for a second because I know our listeners are thinking, now, why does the Museum of the Bible need a security team capable of taking a small country? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what is at that museum that's so, that's, well, I mean, I, I'm not underselling the talent. You guys are obviously very qualified to be a security element, but that seems like, you know, high security. Right, right. Well, we had a 430,000 square foot facility, which is ginormous. You know, it's huge. Yeah. Compared to what we're building here in Arlington, Texas, you know, the National Medal of Honor Museum, it's it's 100,000 square feet. But we had a, a huge museum, $550 million investment. We had a lot of uh, really important artifacts. And then as we were building this thing in D.C., it was like, oh, my gosh, a Bible museum in downtown D.C., you know, in the nation's capital. You guys may have recalled it several years ago, but at the uh, Holocaust Museum, there was a shooting. And for D.C., yeah, very close to each other. You have to definitely be safe. So, Daryl, after 26 years of distinguished service, doing so many things around the world, was picking the job at the Museum of the Bible your attempt to find your purpose of life after your service? That was a little part of it, Les. I was like, maybe this could kind of connect me again back to the spiritual side. It's the Museum of the Bible. But probably the bigger piece of that was it was a business decision. And, you know, it was... Like I need a job, I need I need to be employed. But I was trying to find myself a little bit. But fast forward to last year when I had the opportunity to work at the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. Now, man, like I'm, it's like bingo, like purpose. Yeah, you found it. Yeah, my heroes as a very young man in the army. You know, I'm thinking back. I'm a 21 year old kid. You know, with three years of experience in the army when Somalia happened and Master Sergeant Gary Gordon and Sergeant First Class Randy Shugart were awarded the Medal of Honor. Those are my superheroes. Those guys inspired me. Right. Those guys made an impact on me. I wanted to be like those guys. And so now for me to play a very small, tiny part honoring their service and their sacrifice to this great country. And it's, if there's something I can do to to assist with that, it's such an honor. And I'm so proud to be able to do that because that's why I wake up and I'm like, man, we got to get this project done. We only have 65 living Medal of Honor recipients. So when a, a living Medal of Honor recipient is standing on that construction site and he says to you, I just want to be alive when this place is built, that hits you in the heart. Yeah. How can you not wake up and be motivated every day? Or how can you not be motivated to talk about the Medal of Honor Museum and what we're trying to do here? I mean, it's just such an honor and um, it's something that I'm very, very proud of. So, Daryl, let's back up a second. Let's, uh, I know we jumped into the museum, but tell the listeners how it got started, 
where we are now and what the museum is and where it is and what your goal is here. So I think for a lot of our listeners out there, they're probably a lot of them don't realize that there isn't a national Medal of Honor Museum. They did a nationwide contest like, hey, where are we going to put this museum? And it boiled down to, they did a lot of analysis and study. It boiled down to Denver, Colorado and Arlington, Texas. Okay. And, uh, and Arlington, Texas ultimately won out. Centrally located in the country, close to two airports, uh, one of the fourth largest metropolitan areas in the country. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a museum. There's going to be an institute, leadership development, yeah. things like that. And then there's also going to be a monument in Washington, D.C. Nice. We broke ground last year, uh, March 25th, 2022, which, as you all probably know, is National Medal of Honor Day. Um, so we're a little over a year into construction and we're set to open, uh, March 25th of 2025. Nice. So we still got a little ways to go. We still got some fundraising, uh, to do as well, but we're making great progress. Where do people go if they want to help Daryl? If you want to go to help, which man, that would be great. Uh, mohmuseum.org. I got to ask this one other question. So Daryl, you know, looking back and all the things that you've done and what you're doing today, what would you tell your 17-year-old version of you to inspire our, our audience about what you've done and, and why it's important to serve? Probably for me, I would tell my 17-year-old self, like, hey, are you comfortable? If you are, then something's wrong. Get out there, get after it, get working. Yeah. Challenge yourself. Start picking it up some. Yeah. And for our guys and gals that are honorably serving the country, I would say this, you don't rise to the occasion, you rise to your level of training. So make sure you're out there training and getting after it because it just doesn't magically happen. That's good. Training is where it all all happens. That's good. Well, Daryl, thank you and I appreciate it. And I know our listeners appreciated the wisdom and also the cause that you both served throughout your 26 year career. Like you said, if you want to help out, please go to mohmuseum.org. Check them out. And if you can help, please. That'd be amazing. Daryl, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Daryl, we really enjoyed your story. And uh, we really, really feel like we're brothers in kind for sure. So thanks a lot for coming out, Daryl. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show. It's, it's a huge honor for me. Yeah, you're welcome, bro. It's our honor. In today's episode, Daryl Utt talked about his various overseas missions. And in today's chapter spotlight, we'd like to travel to one of our overseas partners. On May 5th of this year, the AUSA Korea chapter supported the annual Army Aviation Ball, the first event of its kind post-COVID at the Grand Hyatt Hotel in Seoul. Aviators from all over Korea, as well as active and retired GOs, attended and heard Major General Lonnie Hibbard deliver a keynote address. The mayor of Piantok City also attended as a community representative. Congrats, or chukaheo, to everyone involved. If you or your chapter would like to be profiled on the show, please email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Hua. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army the U.S. Army's Professional Association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at ausa.org for more information or to become a member. 
Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the Total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Today's episode was hosted by Lieutenant General Retired Les Smith and SMA Retired Dan Daly, an anchor hosted by Carrie Barrow-Heckes. Anthony Del Call is the producer and writer, and Andy Bosnack is the supervising sound editor. Unzinga Curry is the executive producer, and the senior producers are Carrie Barrow-Heckes and LaSharon Duncan. Special thanks to Lauren Hall and Terry Perriman for their help. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. AUSA's Army Matters podcast, primary purpose is to entertain. The podcast does not constitute advice or services. While guests are invited to listen, listeners, please note that you're not being provided professional advice from the podcast or the guest. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of AUSA. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. I'm with Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hooah.